the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Ron Welcome to the Tuesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio show dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or life questions. Um, You know, more than anything, we want to encourage you and point you to Jesus. So um, give us a chance to do that. All you have to do is call us by dialing 210 340-9585. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. That's three four zero ninety five eighty five. I started to laughter for a moment because today I was on a conversation with another pastor and he needed to send me some information. We're affiliating, affiliating him with Calvary Chapel, and he said, "Okay, so what's your phone number?" And I said, "Well, it's two one zero three four zero ninety five eighty five. But that was my number. That's the show number. I get used to saying this so often." So three four zero ninety five eighty five. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Numerically, it's six three zero five seven five seven. If you uh, have a question you'd like to email, you can email us the question by emailing questions at calvarysa dot com. Uh, and if you um, would like to use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. Uh, you can send your questions in that way. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. You can use the hands-free feature of your phone, then just one button. Call now, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Uh, a lot to talk about today, so let me get right to um, what's going on. First and foremost, yesterday we had two phone calls in the last five minutes of the program. That's my encouragement to you to to call earlier but we had two calls one of them was a normal call but but the second one by a, a young man named Matthew was really really important and I just didn't have time we, we the computer cuts us off at a hard break at the end of the program so we were just done uh, and I said Matthew please tune in tune in at the beginning of the program tomorrow and I'll address it I could was able to give him some generalities but uh, I really want uh, to deal with this because there's so many people that feel like Matthew. Now, Matthew's call was, he said, and I'm going to paraphrase very quickly, that he feels like a mistake, um, can't do anything right type of a call, and um, how could God love him kind of thing. And um, what we need to know um, we need to know this intellectually. This has to be written in our brain so that we know and can discern the lies of an enemy. God proved he loved us once and forever. He proved it. For God so loved the world. Matthew, you and and I, we're in this world, and God proved he loved us. I never once have had to say, oh God, how do I know you love me? Or, Or I've done so many horrible things. How could you love me? Uh, I've been blessed with enough faith. I've never asked those questions. And the reason for me, and again, I think logically, Matthew, I think sometimes logic is our friend. And I understood that he proved it 
undeniably so, when he took my place on that cross at Calvary. And that means necessarily that every time my emotions tell me something else, I can recognize that as a lie from the pit of hell. The devil came to kill, to destroy, to steal. He wants to steal the security that God has given you. He wants to steal that love that was proven once and for forever. And in the process, if you allow him to do that, then he will try to destroy, to kill. He hates Christians. He doesn't want Christians um, to, to spread their joy. He wants us to live defeated lives. And so his question from the beginning was, did God really say? Now, in this context, Matthew, did God really say he loved you? You've got to make that decision for yourself. This is where you've got to toughen up enough to, to, to deal with the question intellectually, did God prove that he loved you? And if he loves you, and if God doesn't change, and if God is love, all the things the Bible teaches us, well then, if he ever did, he still does. It's also important, Matthew, that we think in those terms, and the only way we can do that is to renew our minds Romans chapter 12 says that, that we need new thinking and we get that in the word of God. Then we are transformed by the word of God. So Matthew, in spite of emotions, in spite of the things you're going through, in spite of the things that maybe other human beings have told you throughout your life, you've got to know that God so valued you that he gave everything he had just to purchase you. I'm going to read a parable that Jesus told Matthew. I'm going to read two of them, in fact. And this is Jesus describing you. He said again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. Matthew 13, verse 46 says this, when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had and bought it. Now, in the world that Jesus lived in, Jews detested pearls. They were unclean, and, and, and you know, Jesus is telling this, this parable of a pearl of great value, and Jews will be shaking their heads. But you see, in that day and age, Gentile kings in the world valued them highly, and they would send merchants all over the world looking for pearls, and when they would, would find a bigger one, the bigger the pearl that the king was able to, to wear, uh, the more powerful the richer he was. So they placed an enormous value on him. Well, you and I are that Gentile pearl. And when God found you, Matthew, he sold everything he had and bought it. Now, I, I often say to my church, Matthew, that, that God the Father emptied the bank of heaven for us. When Jesus pleaded with him three times in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, if there's any way, let it pass. And three times the Lord was told there is no way. Now, Matthew, I want you to think about it this way. Three times the Father told the Son, Matthew was worth it. Three times he said, if you don't die, if I remove this cup, Matthew will die. Matthew, you are valued to such a degree that Jesus endured the agony of the cross. He put up with mocking and insulting. Forget the, the pain and the torture. We all know about that. But he endured the agony of the cross thinking about you. You can imagine for a moment Jesus on that cross in unbearable pain. Twelve legions of angels at the ready at any moment. All he had to do is call them and they would be there to deliver him. And Jesus didn't say it is finished until he saw your name, Matthew, sort of roll by him from the Lamb's Book of Life. That's how valuable you are. That's not a mistake. That's a plan of a sovereign God. He also says, 
in the parable just above in verse 44, Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. He bought a whole field, Matthew, because you're the treasure in that field. And this is what you've got to settle in your heart once and for all so that when the enemy lies, and Matthew, he's going to keep pushing those buttons. But when you can discern, no, I know God loves me. I know I'm not a mistake. I know my value to God. When you can answer like that, the enemy will try to find some other way to approach you. But you've got to close this door. Also, I'd like to give you a homework assignment, Matthew. Um, Open your Bible to the Song of Songs. And on the headlines, subtitles, certainly those are not inspired by God. But the ones that are uh, uh, subtitled, Lover. That's Jesus speaking just to you. He's speaking, it's Solomon historically speaking to the woman that had his heart. But it's also Jesus. That's why this one song, the song of all songs, Solomon wrote a thousand. And this one was preserved because it was written by God. And that's why it's Jesus talking to you. And and he's talking to me. And he tells you, how beautiful you are, my darling. There's no flaw in you. Doesn't sound like a mistake, does it, Matthew? What he's saying is you're perfect for him. Not only that, he loves you so much that he's going to take you as a potter would take a lump of clay. He's going to put you on that spinning wheel. He's going to pour water to soften the clay. And he's going to keep shaping you and molding you until that day that we get to go be with him, Matthew. And all the time on the wheel, you know, I don't like going around in circles. I, I'm not a, 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 a roller coaster person. I don't like merry-go-rounds. I don't like anything that causes me to sort of lose my equilibrium. Well, Jesus, sort of spiritually speaking, keeps us on that wheel our whole lives. And Matthew, he does that so that he can make something magnificent from you. And since we're just a lump of clay, we can't say, well, God, what are you doing? And what am I going to be? Don't just, just stay in his hands and let him keep shaping you and molding you. And one day you're going to look at yourself and you're going to say, look what God has done. And Matthew, this isn't just theory. I need you to understand something and I can only do that by sharing a little bit of me. I cause more people more pain before I got saved than anybody else I know. Admittedly, I don't know everyone. I'm sure there's some people out there as bad as I was, but I was the worst. Paula prayed for me for 13 years. And even with all of that, I waited until I was absolutely broken and desperate before I called out to Jesus. And he met me in such a powerful way. I don't mean it was spectacular in the sense that nobody else was met in such a powerful way because people are met that way all the time by the Lord. But it was an instant where my life was changed and transformed. That was 28 years ago, Matthew. And I am more convinced today than ever before that Jesus loves me. Know and understand your value to God. Recognize your discernment, the lies of the enemy. You've got to recognize the voice of the enemy just as it's important to recognize the voice of God. And when the voice of God and the voice of the enemy is sending different messages, you have to make a choice to listen to the voice of God. You need to be in your Bible just to get to know him better. This man loves you. He's crazy about you. And when you said yesterday that you think you're a mistake, couldn't imagine that God could love you. 
The only reason you'd think that, Matthew, is because you don't know the promises that have been made to you in his word. Let what you know overwhelm what you feel. And Matthew, I'm going to be praying for you, and I would ask from time to time, if you just keep in touch, let us know how you're doing. Um, you broke my heart yesterday, and, and, and not because you did anything wrong, but but because God wants so much more. He has so much more for you. And I want you to embrace every bit of it. Jesus said, abide in him and he will abide in you. And when you're abiding in Christ, just be with Jesus. When that's true for you, Matthew, you'll be able to hold on to what you know and deal spiritually with how you feel. So Matthew, I'm going to be praying for you for the rest of the audience. Sorry I took so long with that, but uh, that was just really, really an important call yesterday, and I hate it when we don't have time to really, really dig in. That just happened at the end of the program. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Uh Here is a caller, an anonymous caller that called the studio. He said, I would like to know proof that I won't lose salvation once saved. Uh, anonymous Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14. That's all the proof you need. God gave us his spirit as a deposit, a down payment, literally. It's like earnest money when you put something down on a house. It's earnest money to show that you're sincere. God did that for you, and he gave you the Holy Spirit guaranteeing your salvation. Now, God's guarantee is... as Rock solid as a guarantee gets. I had a question similar to this yesterday, and I said, if, if I guarantee you something, well, my guarantee is not all that good. But God's is immovable. And that one verse can't be exegeted away. Nobody can rationalize it away. It doesn't matter how you feel. If you belong to God, if you've been born again, You've been given the Spirit of God as a down payment guaranteeing your inheritance in heaven. Now, Anonymous Caller, there's a couple of things that I want to deal with here because one of them is simply this. A lot of times we feel insecure or we fear being insecure because there's still sin in our lives, sin that we're not dealing with. Galatians 5 and 1 Corinthians 6 talks about certain lifestyles, bad fruit. Certain lifestyles, if we live like this, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean you lose your salvation. That just means if you choose to live a lifestyle like that, you never had it. This is one thing that I can, I, I can never adequately communicate. And it's so important that people get it. I just, oh, Lord, give me a different way of, of, of making people understand. But the, the reality of our situation, Anonymous, is that if you've met Jesus, you're not the same person you once were. You're not that person anymore. When I met Jesus 28 and a half years ago, uh, although I can remember intellectually who I was, uh, I don't remember how that person felt. I don't remember... What motivated that person? I changed so radically that that old person died. That's what being born again is. The old you dies and a new you comes to life. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That happens, Anonymous, only because you met Jesus. And when the Holy Spirit comes in you, his Intent is that we would feel more secure, not less secure. Now, make no mistake, there's always going to be an enemy who's going to say, did God really say that's the first lie from the Garden of Eden? And the, the devil has been saying that ever since. Did God really say? He's going to try to make you doubt your salvation. 
But as I mentioned to Matthew, Jesus said, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. And there's no one who's abiding in Christ that has any doubts, qualms, or questions whatsoever about his or her salvation. It's only when we're hanging around with sin that we doubt. And I believe, personally anonymous, that that is by God's design. God would never let anybody feel secure living in sin because the sin will eventually destroy us. So when we're hanging around with Jesus, no problem. We're hanging around with sin, big problems. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Aren't you glad it didn't say he began the work, but you have to complete it? He is the author and the finisher or perfecter depending on your translation of our faith. What he began, he'll finish. And all we have to do every day to know that we're secure is to hang out with Jesus. And he will make sure, beyond any doubt, he'll make sure that you know you're secure in Christ. I think one of our problems, uh, caller, is that we see so many people make provisions of faith and then they sort of fade away. Some of them run away, but, 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 but others just fade or drift away. And we wonder, well, I thought they were saved. Did they lose their salvation? Remember what I said earlier. Anyone who's met my Jesus has changed. Anyone who claims they met Jesus, but their lives have not changed significantly. And I'm not talking about being perfect. We're still going to sin. We still have flesh. We still fight the fight every day. But as clearly as I can say this, if you've met Jesus, you're different. If you are the same as before you met Jesus, then you haven't really been introduced to him. We come to him, we have to go on his terms. And Anonymous, that will be the best decision that anyone can ever make because that's when life gets rich and it gets full. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to line one and talk with Ruben in Seguin. Hi, Ruben. Good to hear from you. God bless you, Pastor Ron. Uh, is your wife with you today? Today's no, that'll, oh, no, that'll be Thursday. Thursday. Uh, no, sir, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm doing better than the last time you talked to me, but... The reason I'm calling today is just to ask you uh, and your church if y'all could lift me up in prayer. Uh, Next Thursday, I will have to have surgery, major surgery done uh, to correct something that was supposed to have been done uh, five years ago when I first got the colostomy bag. And the past two weeks, I've been dealing with... um, uh, knowing or finding out that the doctor who operated me took an easy way out and left what was wrong with me inside of me and thought that it, nothing would happen to it, um, but he was wrong. It started growing again. So anyways, mm. uh, I over the weekend, I had major, major pains in my stomach. I went to the emergency room. Um, basically, they told me I needed to get surgery. The only way, they couldn't find a surgeon here in Seguin, so they were going to send me to San Antonio, but I didn't want to do that. So anyways, bottom line is is they're going to do it here in Seguin, and it's going to be a major surgery. And, of course, I'm not going to lie to you, the the enemy is fighting me big time. And I am weak physically because I am in a lot of pain. I'm losing my strength in my legs, and my legs hurt. They, I mean, I'm in a lot of pain, Pastor, a lot of pain. I, I can hardly walk. Um, I'm laying down, and they hurt. And mm. and then the heart and the pain in my stomach and all the pain that just fell over my body. And then my mind is tired, and the enemy comes in, and he tells me that, that um, I'm not going to make it out of that surgery, that mm. something's going to happen to me, and I'm going to end up passing away. 
And the enemy is not going to stop Reuben. He is um, uh, he's going to take advantage of every opportunity, every weapon that he has. So this is a time when you dig into the Bible, um, stay close to Jesus. And I can promise you that Paula is is already written down uh, next Thursday, a week from this Thursday is going to be your surgery. And and she's put that in her prayer. The 22nd. So she's put that in her prayer journal already. And we will be praying like crazy. Let me pray for you really quickly before we go to the break. Okay, Father. Thank you. uh, We want to lift with with all the agreement of my brothers and sisters in this audience, thousands upon thousands, Lord. We ask that you would touch Reuben's body. Give him... Um, some relief. He needs relief, Lord, from yes. the pain, legs yes, and stomach yes. and anything and everything else. But we also ask you to wrap your arms around him like a like yes, a blanket and let him know that you're in his hands. Let him yes. know that he can trust you, that you've always yes. been faithful, you've always been there, and you're there for him now. Lord, we ask that you spare our brother. We ask that you give him comfort and peace mentally and physically for your glory. Amen. Ruben, thanks for giving us a chance to pray. We've got 30 minutes left in the program, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. 30 minutes left on the Tuesday edition, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here's a question from John from our mobile app. Psalm 115, 9 to 13, seems to be referring not only to Jews, but to us Christians, too. Your comments would be appreciated. Let me read the psalm, uh, those verses. O house of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. John, um, uh, there there are applications, of course, for Christians, but this is an entirely Jewish psalm. Um, uh, When it says, you who fear him, um, or the Lord remembers us and will bless us. If you looked at the grammar in the Hebrew uh, the, the the object of those words would be those who were uh, who the psalm was directed to, the house of Israel uh, or the house of Aaron, the Levites. So th- this isn't at all speaking of of uh, Gentiles, uh, those of us in the church. Uh, this is just a, a wonderful song of worship and praise, um, uh, hopefully encouraging that they would trust in the Lord all the days of their lives. The sad thing, of course, is they did not and suffered uh, mightily as a result. So um, thank you for the question, but it is it is entirely Jewish in its context. Here is a question from our email inbox from Kirby. Uh, would Genesis 18.25 be a good passage to show universalists the error of their views? Do universalists believe in the Bible? Let me read Genesis 18.25, and then uh, well, I'll, I'll deal with the question. It says, Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Now, obviously, Kirby, the context of Genesis 18 is uh, um, Abraham negotiating with Jesus uh, when he and the destroying angels are about to go in and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and and yes, it would be uh, a passage to show them their error. The problem is, you said, do universalists believe in the Bible? And the answer is no, they don't. You know, they may say they believe in Jesus, but but they don't want a certain part of Jesus 
the, the justice and the holiness part. But Genesis 18 makes it clear. And by the way, this is also uh, a proof text for a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. This deals with God's character. And while there's local application for Sodom and Gomorrah, there's a principle here that God cannot treat the righteous and the wicked alike. So just as somebody who's evil and rejects Jesus Christ can't go to heaven, the truth is when God pours out his wrath on this world at the end of the age, Christians can be here, far be it for you to deal with the righteous and the wicked alike. You know, this is when Abraham was negotiating. If, if there's 50 righteous, 40 righteous, 30 righteous, and he kept going lower and lower, and God kept saying, oh, if I can find this many righteous, okay, I won't do it. And what Abraham said, based on his knowledge of God's character, he said, you can't do this. If there's any righteous there, the righteous have to save them. Because you can't deal with the righteous and the wicked alike. And it, it always frustrates me, Kirby, when people are, are um, well, I believe in post-tribulation rapture of the church, that the church is going to go through the, the great tribulation or the pre-wrath or the mid-tribulation group. Well, you know, we're going to experience some of the great tribulation. The great tribulation is God's wrath being poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. Well, we haven't rejected Christ. God's wrath was poured out on him in our place. And so if we understand that, then we know for sure that we can't be here during the Great Tribulation. Uh, Kirby, the real problem with universalists is that they simply are letting their emotions override their, their, their ability to reason. It so upsets them that God would send anybody to hell forever that they've just decided, in, in many cases, because they have loved ones who have gone on, uh, and and if, if universalism is not true, then their loved ones would be in torment. I think as Christians, we've got to be honest about that. I've got family members, people that I love dearly, who died apart from Christ. And they're in torment. Now that breaks my heart, but God honored the choice that they made while alive. He honored that choice in death. They wanted to live independent of God. In life, God says, okay, in death, I'll let you be independent of me. We call that hell. And there's torment. So, um, yeah, Genesis 18.25 is a good passage both ways, as I described it. But remember that they simply reject the holiness, the justice part of God's character. Thank you for the question, Kirby. Here's a question from Nacho, our email inbox. Uh, regarding Noah's curse on Canaan in Genesis chapter 9, 25 through 27, can that be attributed to the modern day conflict in the Middle East between Jews and Arabs? Even though the Canaanites were wiped out, as we see in Joshua 9 and in Judges, has Noah's curse extended to this time? Part of the reason I ask is that in verse 27, Noah prophesies about future Gentiles being together with Jews, meaning Christians being in the family of God. And so is the prophecy about us Christians is true, extending all these years to today. Could the curse on Canaan be seen in the same light to be extended all these years to thus explain the real motive of today's conflict between Jews and Arabs? Not sure you're reading too much into this. First of all, this isn't Noah's curse. Uh, this isn't God cursing. This is Noah. And in this particular passage, Noah is is simply living in his role as a prophet. So in his anger, God is using his anger. In his frustration, uh, God is telling the future. So this isn't a curse. Let me also say that for many, many generations, um, you know, the Canaanites were thought to be uh, the the origin uh, of, of the black race of peoples, the Ethiopians, the Cushites uh, of, of ancient, of the ancient world. Uh, and so they, 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 they decided that we were going to be racist because God cursed blacks, so we have to hate blacks. And none of that is true. None of that is true. It's also true that Noah is really speaking to Ham's sin. And Canaan, of course, is a descendant of Ham. We know that God doesn't punish the son for the sins of the father. 
So this was just a rash statement, however true, prophetically, has nothing to do with the Jews and the Arabs today. It's simply um, Ham who is guilty of of more than than what it appears. Um, uh, he he didn't just walk in and see his father's nakedness. Uh, the, the Hebrew is very descriptive of a uh, of a time when uh, he was delighted. And and the only thing I can figure, not you, and we don't have any answers on this, but Noah's faithful witness for so long wore his kids out. And Ham, when he finally saw his father's nakedness, when he revealed, or when it was revealed, his father wasn't who he thought he was. He delighted in the fact of his father's failure. Now, there's a lot of lessons. I don't have time to go into them now, but I think the lesson is it doesn't matter how we start, we have to finish well. I studied Noah just last Friday night in Hebrews chapter 11. Um, great character, uh, but but I think we've got to understand as Christians, when, when we're exposed, um, the whole world's going to find out, and we need to be on guard. So, Nacho, it doesn't have anything to do with the Jews and the Arab conflict. That more comes from um, um, Isaac and Ishmael uh, passed down through the centuries. And really it's a conflict between believing in God and not believing in God. There's a big difference between believing in God and believing in a God. And, of course, Ishmael believed in, in the right God, but his descendants certainly have not. Good question. Thank you very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. No calls on the board, so we've got time space for people to call in. Here's a question that was sent in to us by Lorenzo. Uh, good question too. He said, "How would a single man who's a believer go about finding the right woman to marry?" Um, Lorenzo, what a great question! But trust God to bring the woman that He is preparing for you the woman you are being prepared for, trust God to do it. Now, here's the way you do that. Serve the Lord. Surrender everything to God. Stop focusing on a, on a potential mate and instead focus on Jesus. Jesus said, my sheep call, uh, they know my voice. I call them by name and they follow me. If you're following Jesus and there's a woman out there that he has planned for you, you it's impossible for you to miss her. It is impossible for you to miss her. So here's what you do. You let God finish the the job of preparing you. Don't take matters into your own hands. Just sort of open your hands in prayer and say, Lord, he who desires a wife desires a good thing, a noble thing. Well, I want that blessing, Lord. And and then tell him, I'm going to wait for you. I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to wait for you to open your eyes. I have a young woman in the church, young to me. I've been around our church for a very, very long time. And, um, you know, she's she's been single for a very, very long time. And she's just waiting on the Lord. Now, we'll see if it's God's plan for her to be single or to be married. But generally speaking, Lorenzo, God doesn't give a desire in your heart to be married and then sort of pull the rug out from under your feet. That's a desire that he's put in your heart. Trust him. Let me make a couple of suggestions. First one is positive. The others are negative. The positive suggestion is, as you're serving in church, keep your eyes open. Look around. You know, people say, like it's some carnal thing. Well, I I can't go to church to find a, a wife. Well, why not? This is where you get to watch people in terms of, of their walk with Jesus, you, you get to, to judge their hearts. And I don't mean in a negative way, but you get to see their hearts. And so just keep your eyes open. And as you do that, God will bring you the woman who will fulfill the desires of your heart. Now, the negative observations that I, in, I indicated I wanted to talk about, do not... Resort to the ways of this world to find a wife. 
Every time I say this, people get mad at me because they met their wife online. That's only the exception that, that confirms the rule. That's like Gideon's fleece. We do that not because of great faith, but because our faith is weak. And there's just something faithless about going online to find a wife or a husband. I know we do it. I know there's an entire generation that has been raised with computers and think nothing of doing everything, managing their whole lives online. But when it comes to these important decisions, when you go shopping, you're going to be disappointed. Let God do the shopping. You know, we have a a relatively new thing. I'm sure some of you take advantage of it. We don't. But, you know, you can call HEB or you can call Walmart and, and you can order your groceries and have them delivered. Well, what better way to deal with a potential spouse? You can call heaven. You can order your wife or your husband. You can, you can tell him exactly what you're looking for, what you want. Just wait for him to make the delivery. And I promise you'll do that. The other thing that I would ask you not to do is, is employ worldly ways of looking for somebody, bars and those kind of things. Christians, of course, don't do those things. Trust Jesus. Let's go to line one and talk with Cindy in San Antonio. We've got David waiting on line two. So, David, I'll get to you in just a moment. Hi, Cindy. Thanks for calling. Hi, Pastor Ron. I've got some of my I wonder questions, and it has to do with Noah's Ark. I'm kind of wondering, Do you think these are my questions, do you think there was only one window in the Ark? And if there was only one window, how did everybody get fresh air? Because if it has pitch on the inside and the outside, it would have been sealed so no air could get in. And then I was thinking about the animals, the carnivorous ones. That I wonder if God put a lot of the animals in, in a deep sleep so that they wouldn't have to be fed because I can't imagine feeding all those animals what they would feed them. And then they'd have to clean the stalls, and if there's no other windows, how could they clean everything? And then I was thinking about the fact that he probably, the fish survived. It doesn't say anything that, that, he, uh, that the fish were, were gone. Then I was thinking about the window itself, that the ark was a representation of God sending Jesus to save us. So if there was only one window, it would mean that there's only one way to God and to freedom, and it was through that window of Jesus Christ. And I think that's with all my notes. I think those are all the I wonder questions I've got right here. I'll get off the phone and let you answer. Hi. Thank thank you. I always giggle at Cindy's questions. Uh, A couple of things. If I understand the construction of the ark, and I'm not an architect, and uh, I, I... I'm not good looking at plans. I can read it. But as I understand it, there was an opening all the way around the ark, not a window the way we would envision a window, but there was an opening so there would be constant circulation of of air. Uh, the, the stench would be unbearable otherwise. I also think, Cindy, that, that God would have put the animals in sort of a hibernative state. Um, um, uh, it it would have been... The only way that those animals could have been managed, um, you know, God, who is the master of animal life as well as human life, um, if he told them to sit and be still, then that's exactly what they would have done. Unlike humans, they don't question the Lord. So so I think those are the things that, that you have to think about. Um, there is a, 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 Ken Ham is built in Kentucky, a representation of our, uh, of Noah's Ark, uh, I actually saw a picture of it the other day, and and um, I think if you see that picture, then you're going to be able to uh, to 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 envision um, the the kind of life that it would have been. So, Cindy, thanks very much for the for the question. Let's go to David now from San Antonio on line two. Thanks for holding, David. You're on the air. How you doing, Pastor Ron? Um, I'm I, doing I, well, I, thank uh, you. Uh, yeah, I attend church over there and uh, at your church, and I have to say I really love your your sermons. Um, your, oh, thanks, uh, David. It's, it's, no problem. Yeah, because your sermons are so convicting, and I feel like a lot of churches <laughs> these days lack conviction. 
So, so, yeah, so I, I love it. Um, but uh, the question I have is, um, uh, the other day I was talking to uh, a Christian brother, and he, uh, he had an issue with submitting to the government. And, um, and he mentioned that, you know, like I believe it's like Romans 13 is where Paul mm-hmm. talks about, you know, submitting to the government, pay your taxes, and things like that. Um, but he argued the fact, or maybe not, maybe not a fact, and that's why I'm asking, um, that it's, it's not towards the government, but more towards governing authorities of the Jewish church at the time, for the, for the <laughs> early church. And, um, so, and he kind of like referred to this article, and it seemed pretty factual, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm still leaning towards, you know, it definitely means, uh, to your actual government. And but uh, I wanted to see what your thoughts are and how I feel to um, I guess ap- apologetically you know converse with them. Okay, I can do that, David. Thank you very much. And if you like conviction, just wait till this week. This is this Sunday is going to be the hardest I think from my perspective, the single most difficult Bible study in all of our New Testaments. It's it just makes every fiber of our flesh crawl. And um, this is. And I look forward uh, to it. Yeah, well, I, I hope so. Thank you, David. Um, submitting to governing authorities. There, there's nothing Jewish about Romans 13. There's nothing Jewish about Peter when he talks about submitting to those in authority over you. For God is the author of that authority. It doesn't mean he picked the, the person. It just means that God gave the world government uh, to establish order, to make things well. Think about a, a, a freeway. Uh, if there were no rules, if there were no lanes, if people just wanted to go where they wanted, there would be complete chaos. Well, good government or bad government, if there were no government, the world would be infinitely more chaotic than it is. I also, uh, David, want you to remind your friend that the ruling authority of the world at the time Paul and Peter wrote their epistles was Caesar Nero a man undoubtedly possessed by Satan, one of the two or three most evil rulers the world has ever known. And Paul says, submit to the governing authorities, live a quiet, peaceful life, so that it will go well. Living a quiet, peaceful life, obeying the rules, allows us to be able to witness, allows us to be able to share our story. And so there's no, nothing Jewish about it. I understand there are anti-government groups and there's all kinds of crazy information available online uh, and, and those things are all skewed. But, but tell your friend to read the Bible and anything in those posts online that contradict the Bible are simply lies. There's an agenda. Nobody likes to pay taxes. Nobody likes to submit to the government. Uh, nobody likes to submit to your boss at work, but, but as Christians, our responsibility is to remember we have no rights. We're bought with a price. We're not our own. And if we understand that, then, David, we submit even when submitting is difficult because it brings God honor. And our study this weekend will not deal with that specific context, but it answers that context as well. David, thank you. I look forward to seeing you. Uh, come up and meet me. I want to want to see who you are. Uh, let's go to San Antonio again for Scott on line three. Scott, thanks for calling. We have four minutes. Hey, Pastor Ron. I'll try to make this quick. Um, uh, I just got back from a trip to visit the Ark um, up there. In oh, you Kentucky. did? Good. And yes, it was absolutely wonderful. And anyone that can make it there, it's right outside of Cincinnati. But what I wanted to mention is on PureFlix, if any of you have a subscription, they have all the answers in Genesis, and they got some good documentaries on the building of it. And um, I watched some of the videos. That there was a lot of miracles that took place even for them to construct it. And I just wanted to pass that on to your listeners. And uh, Scott, thank you, you so much for that. Thank you so much. God bless you. You know, uh, my youth pastor, high school pastor, just uh, went on vacation. He and his beautiful wife. Um to uh, to the ark uh, as well, and he said exactly the same thing. If you ever get a chance, you got to go see it. Um, you know, Ken Ham has some issues, but the ark isn't one of them. So, uh, the Answers in Genesis has some good information, and uh, that's the second testimony 
uh, from someone that that I know tangentially at least, uh, who said if you if you get a chance to go, you got to go. So uh, Cincinnati's right outside Kentucky; it's just inside the state line, and um, and uh, evidently, if you go, you'll be blessed. I think it's an amazing thing we consider the 120 years it would have taken Noah to build that ark. It's an amazing accomplishment. You talk about miracles, just the day by day, week after week, year after year. Devotion, commitment, and passion it took, the faith it took. When Noah lived in a time where there was no rain, it had never rained, nobody could have ever conceived of a flood, though the curse had had been active for a long time, um, the, the earth was still near pristine because the curse hadn't had its full effect. And the result was uh, uh, a story, Hebrews chapter 11 says, uh, Noah, a righteous man, a preacher of righteousness, we're told in the New Testament. Um, what a great, great triumph of faith. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it very, very much. Well, I don't have time to take any more questions. We're inside a minute now for the rest of the program. Um, let me just put this out. I'll remind you tomorrow. Tomorrow I'm going to be teaching uh, in Isaiah chapter 44 and 45. I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish it all, but I'm going to try. Um, these last, this last section of Isaiah is magnificent, but if you want to see one of the most amazing prophecies in your Old Testament... Isaiah 44 at the end in chapter 45, that's it. And that'll encourage all of us. We can trust the God who knows the future. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.